Welcome to City Life Church Podcast. Our desire is that all may come to know Christ and fulfill their purpose in life. We welcome you to head over to our website for more information. God bless you and enjoy the message. We're on this series called Generation Influence. And I was kind of going back and forth on, Lord, what do you want to do? And I just felt like I want to stay on this. And we, I feel like we've given... We're given good time to the things we need to give time to as a church. So what, however much I get through here today, uh, we will. And uh, we'll continue next week, of course. But today I wanted to talk about, because the, the three weeks ago when I spoke and we started this series, uh, or, the, or the second of the series, and we talked about the traditionalists and those who are just a little bit older than me. But they're, they're great people. We talked about them and... And, uh, but today I want to talk a little bit about the baby boomers, and that happens to be my age group, although I was at the very tail end of it, but I still am in that, that group. So I want to say a few things, but ultimately there's, there's a purpose for, for what I'm doing this morning. Lord, I just pray for the next few minutes, Lord, as we touch on some things and we bring your word in, and Lord, you're stirring in our hearts something about a generation serving and working together, God. And so we're, we're asking you, Lord, for your uh, guidance of your Holy Spirit this morning in this process. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 So we had we talked about the traditionalists, and we have the baby boomers, and then we have the Gen Xers. There's some of you in that, in that and then uh, the millennials or the Generation Y, and then the Generation Z or the iGen or Centennials, those, the younger ones that are around. And so we're going to go through these. So we're we're at this baby boomer one today. They follow, obviously, the traditionalists, and they precede the Gen Xers. How many Gen Xers are here? None? Oh, there we go. You have a few kind of like, uh, is that me? Yeah. So I believe that generations are probably going to get shorter in the sense that because of such a fast-paced technology that we're in and how things move so quickly and how all the barriers are kind of taken away from Young people especially being able to connect with people all over the world, and there's not even language barriers anymore because you have all kinds of apps and everything that can do all the translations, and there's really no, nothing to keep us from communicating and, and staying up with things, and things are changing so fast. You would have never thought that, I think if it, those who are traditionalists would have never probably have ever dreamed or thought of the things that we are living in today, the, the technology we have today. And it's, it's pretty amazing. The conversation, though, needs to be that every person brings something to the generation that I believe God is speaking to and speaking about in his word when he talks about generation blessing. It's not just for a, a group of people that are from a 20-year segment. A generation blessing is, if you're alive Today, that's a gener- you're in that generation. There's a generation blessing that comes. And there's, so there's something that every generation brings something that's important to the table when it comes to reaching our community for the kingdom. There's something we do. There's something we can bring. Instead of, like I said, instead of picking the negative things out and say, well, they're old fogey or they don't know what they're talking about or whatever, we, we come together and say, hey, there's some really good things that that generation has, whether it's the generation before or after us or two or three removed, whatever it is, understanding and accepting. There's something that they bring to the table. How can we work together? 
the challenges that we're, we're faced with every day, we want to focus on what are the strengths that we bring. Don't look at the weaknesses or the things that we see were failures in that regard. We, we look at the, the strengths, not what we deem to be weaknesses. So we work across all the generations to unlock our strengths. So those are some of the things that we're going to be talking about and have been and will continue. So again, our purpose is to affect the entire generation for the kingdom, for God. And that's what we're trying to accomplish and what God wants to accomplish. I want to read a portion of scripture in Psalm 112, starting in verse 1, Psalm 112, starting in verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. And that's always good to do. Amen. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in obeying his commands. Their children will be successful everywhere. Listen to this. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. Guess what? That is everybody in this room. You're part of the entire generation will be blessed. They themselves will be wealthy and their good deeds will last forever. And wealthy can be a lot more than just money in relationships and health, all the different things that are there. Influence. Light shines in the darkness for the godly. They are generous compassionate and righteous. Good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their business fairly. Such people will not be overcome by evil. Those who are righteous will be long remembered. They do not fear bad news. They confidently trust in the Lord to care for them. They are confident and fearless and can face their foes triumphantly. They share freely and give generously to those in need. Their good deeds will be remembered forever they will have influence and honor. Influence and honor. There's something about a generation who lives for kingdom purpose, who loves the Lord, who obeys the commands of the Lord, who goes after the things that God has called them to do. There's something that happens. There's an automatic influence and honor that comes. And that comes from God. It doesn't come from man. It doesn't, it's not generated that just some false thing, but this is something that comes because God, it's an automatic, there's promises he gives and promises he makes, and these things go hand in hand, and so when we see these things happen, and it's released, there's influence, there's influence, and we have influence as believers, as those who are part of a generation, generation influence, generation influence, and honor comes in that. So I want to talk just for a few moments about this baby boomer thing. Basically, that's named because there was a noticeable increase on births of babies that started at that time and it began to ramp up pretty fast. So we see in the mid-40s to the mid-60s, in that time frame, it was about 78 million babies that were born in that time frame. Incredible. That's good. That's, that's part of God's plan, be fruitful and multiply. But there was a boom that began to happen. People were having kids and there was an excitement about life. And the term really came about in 1963 when they all of a sudden realized they had a huge boom in enrollment into college. All of a sudden, all these kids who were born during these prior to 18 years or 19 years before that, it was beginning a boom. And so they called them the baby boomers. There was a generation in that. And it's interesting thinking about the traditionalists. If you talk to a traditionalist, typically what you will hear from them is they talk a lot about the successes of the past. There's nothing wrong with that, but that was their focus. And baby boomers really are, they talk about the now, what's going on now and dealing with now, not necessarily what happened before. They tend to focus on the now. There's a, 
a quote here by Robert Kennedy, and he put it this way in this quote. It says, some people look at the way things are and ask why. Others look at the way things could be and ask, why not? A church family only needs a few of those such people that can say, why not? Why can't we do this? Why can't we be a generation of influence? Why can't we be the ones to see revival happen in our community, in our state, our nation? Why not? Why not us? Why can't we be the ones? Do we believe that our community can experience the power of God at work? Do we really believe that? Why not? Right? Come on, you guys are quiet. You're not influencers? Yeah, you are. Because, you know, we're... I'm not preaching to a crowd of people who are going to leave here and go, yeah, that was a good sermon. Well, let's wait till next week and wait till the next week and wait till next week. It's like, okay, come on. At some point, we have to say, Lord, how do I fit in this? Why not me? How, how do I fit? You're not here just to take up space and breathe air. God didn't put you on earth for that. We do that, but there's a purpose. There's a purpose, and there's people out there that need you, that need me, that need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, as we are an influence as a generation together. For many years, marketers went after the baby boomers because they was a big group of people and they had money and they had influence. So they were marketing. All the marketing, commercials, everything was going after the baby boomers because they had the money. That was the determination. And somewhere along the line, that began to shift. There was another generation that came along, the Gen Xers. And they began to start driving the market. So there was shift and change that was happening. Remember Oldsmobile? Several years ago, they came up with this commercial, and they put this, these words to it that says, this is not your father's Oldsmobile. The reason they did that, because they realized very quickly they were marketing still to a previous generation, and they got comfortable in that. And all of a sudden, they found out that they were behind the eight ball thinking, we're not reaching the Gen Xers here. We're not reaching that generation because we, we are living on yesterday's successes. And so many times as generations, we, just, we try to live on what we knew then, what worked then. And the reality is things change and they shift and we have to adjust with time. Our message doesn't ever change with the message of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. But our method of how we deliver that and how we... How we do things, how we do church, how we do community, it changes and it adjusts. And you know where Oldsmobile is today? They don't exist. Some young kids now, they like, what's Oldsmobile? It was a thriving General Motors product. It was. We used to have one. We had a 1979 Oldsmobile Cutlass. I remember. It's probably worth something today. <laughs> yeah, so people had Oldsmobiles. Your mom had, see, <laughs> us old people had the Oldsmobiles. That's what it was. So, you know, the baby boomers, they found that their music, most notably rock and roll, kind of that was the big thing, is baby boomers rock and roll. It was a, really another expression of their identity. You could kind of identify people with the music that they listened to and so forth. Now, some of you aren't going to be able to understand what this is, but we had these things called transistor radios. <laughs> that was our portable, you know, music. I know some of your kids are like, Transistor? I heard the word radio. I get that, but what's the transistor? So these little small radios that you would tune in the radio stations, and they were very small, just a little battery-operated, and you could take those with you. That was pretty cool. 
Obviously now, it's, I'm sure they don't exist, or if they are, they're in a museum somewhere. <laughs> but they were the, those personal devices that allowed teenagers and young people to listen to the music. And I was going through this whole process of what were the moments, what were the, the memorable moments of baby boomers, and the things that, whether, for me, I didn't experience all these things because I came toward the end, but some of you may have in this process, but... There's a lot of events, the Cold War, the Cuban Missile Crisis, the assassination of John F. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr. We had these events like that. There was a lot of political unrest, uh, landing on the moon. That was a pretty big deal. We had the draft in the military, Vietnam War. That was crazy in getting and in, in having to go in, so many of those going into the war. Then you had the anti-war protests, and you had this upheaval unrest, you begin to have social experimentation. You had drug experimentation, the sexual revolution. And so you had all these things with the baby boomers that was just kind of going crazy. And the civil rights movement, you had the environment movement, you had the women's movement, you had all of these things. And there was so much going on, the protests, the riots, and oh yeah, Woodstock, which I wasn't there. But those who were, and, the, and so we had actually in this church back in the 70s such an influx of people who were in that scene. It was the hippie movement, and, uh, and they were Jesus freaks, they called them when they get saved, and God revolutionized their life, transformed them. They would come in here high on drugs, and they'd walk out of here born again, and so they're, I just pray and believe. I'm not praying for that again. I'm praying, God, what's, what is it you want to do today? that's going to grab a hold of the people today that need to be touched in the way that you can touch them? And how can we as a generation be a part of that? Because that's, there's radical transformation that's coming, but we are a part of seeing that happen as we are obedient to moving into this, listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit in the process. All this experimenting that was done, the individual, and the free spirit, the social causes, all those things from the baby boomers... But now a lot of those are people who are hurting now, a lot. They're hurting a lot. They're trying to figure out life. They're depressed. Uh, they're getting to that place where, man, I should retire, but I can't retire. And, and, and so all of the struggles of life, and that they need a Savior. And God has given us the answers. They were the ones that are labeled nonconformists. They are going against social norms, and they're, the, like I said, experiencing, experimenting with drugs and sexual expression, all those things. So I want to give you quickly eight characteristics of baby boomers uh, you'll see on the screen. Number one, just a strong work ethic. Again, I'm telling you these things, and this was in general. There's obviously a segment of people who didn't fit these things in this sense that were, that were not, didn't have the characteristics of this, but we'll go through these. As, so strong work ethic, and baby boomers aren't afraid to put in a hard day of work. That, man, I'll tell you what, that was one of the first things I was taught Man, you work hard as a kid. You, you get out there and you work. For many of uh, this generation, some of their self-worth came directly or comes directly from their professional achievements. Many made mistakes in becoming workaholics. We know those and some of those. And it just then they go back and go, man, I wish I didn't do it that way. Number two, self-assured. This generation is independent and self-assured. They were raised during a turbulent time in history, and they were required to take on their fair share of responsibility. And so they felt confident in that and what they did. And they just like, this is what I've been told to do. I'm going to go out and do it. Number three, they're competitive. Yeah, I will tell you, that's true. Baby boomers like competition. One of their biggest motivators is racing to the top of the corporate ladder or winning a competition. 
This is why using badges, trophies, points, rankings, all of these things is always a good idea for baby boomers. They like those kinds of things. I think younger generation, like, who cares about that? But, you know, there's something about, I did this, therefore I get this award. And, you know, there's something about that, being competitive in that process. Because I, I remember, I mean, it was all about competition for me growing up in every sport from the whatever age at five years old or whatever you could swing a baseball bat or, or shoot a basketball or whatever you did, it was competition, and there was winners and losers. And when I coached my son's baseball team, I was frustrated because they told me, no, you can't keep score. There's no winners. We don't want to hurt their feelings. I'm like, what? Come on. They need to understand what it is to lose and win. But I guess things change, right? So how do we adapt? How do we adapt? How do we reach people in that? All right, off my soapbox. Number four, goal-centric. I kept score, by the way. Goal-centric. They enjoy creating goals for themselves or even being assigned specific goals to reach. This goes for both their personal and professional lives. That was the baby boomers. Number five, resourceful. The baby boomers were raised in an era where resourcefulness was a necessary trait. People often had to make do with what they had. Now, that's true. There, you know, even though there, there was eventually came money and so forth, but there was times where, man, you just had to figure it out. And back then, mostly, the mom stayed home. She was the mother. She, the wife took care of the kids, those kind of things. And that was just generally how it was and accepted very, very much so. But then, of course, we came to the age where you couldn't afford to do that anymore. So you had to figure out how do we adjust and do that. Number six. Mentally focused. Baby boomers know how to keep their minds focused on a particular subject or topic. They have a good attention span. Well, I, some of this, again, this applies to a few. <laughs> Squirrel. <laughs> uh, which enables them to stay on track. And I think, you know, for the most part, that was, but obviously there was things that could distract. Number seven, team-oriented. One of the baby boomers' strongest characteristics is their strong sense of community. And family, I would add, they thrive in team environments. They want to be a part of something. And, and so that's good. And then the last one, number eight, is disciplined. Baby boomers like structure. Many grew up in households that were highly disciplined and structured, which shaped who they are today. And I know that myself, my friends that I was raised with, there was structure, there was discipline in our homes. And that's the way it, way it was. And the result of that was a structured, disciplined life. You don't see that so much these days. There's more kind of, boy, we'll get to that down the road and some other, other things, but other messages. Really quick, just give you some statistics, and, and I want to talk about a couple things that are really key and important here. I like statistics, but I don't want to overwhelm you with them. I, I, just, I love to research and look at things. But in 1940, which some of you were around, not many of you, some of you were here in 1940, the population for the United States was about 132 million people, no, understanding that today it's over 325 million as of the census that was taken a couple years ago. So we have over 325 million people in the United States. Well, back in 1940, 132 million. 1950, the population got up to a little over 150 million. And so at that point, 1950, about 3.5 million babies were born that year, which jumped a lot, started jumping quickly from what it typically had been in the 2.4, 2.5 million. So that's where we see this boomer thing start to happen. In the late 50s and in the, through the 1960s, the birth rate then climbed to over 4 million babies a year. So it was booming. 
lot of people were having families and kids and life, and it was going well. And it's interesting, because when I was reading through these statistics, something dawned on me very clearly. Because in the 1970s, all of a sudden, it dropped by over a million babies a year. Does have anybody have any clue what happened? Roe v. Wade. And it's interesting, because if you look at the statistics, we're losing about a million, 800, 900,000 to a million lives every year because of one decision that was made that rocked and changed and altered what I believe God's plan certainly was for family and life. It changed in our country. And if you look at the statistics, it proves it out right there. All of a sudden, it drops. We... We were thriving, in the sense, as a nation, and, and, and I believe God was blessing us as a nation. And all of a sudden, based on a decision there, we have this decline of over a million starting in the 1970s. But eventually, in 1989, it started climbing back up again. People were, again, seeing, in some degrees, seeing some value to life. And so, but also, it was because of the increasing population as well. So you had increase in population. So... 1960, there was about 179 million people in the United States. Uh, 1970, 203 million. So we're seeing the population increase, and of course, a lot of that from immigration, other things that were happening. And then, as I mentioned, the last census, over 325 million people. So we've seen from 1940, 132 million up to over 325 million. That's a lot of people. There's still, how many of you fly or drive throughout the country and see millions and millions of acres of empty space? Because, you know, we've gone through those times. I remember even in, when I was a kid in school, they're like, overpopulation, overpopulation. We, we can't, we don't have room, we don't have space. And every time I got in an airplane or drove somewhere, I'm like, man, I'm telling you, there's a lot of room in this country. There's a lot of space. So I, I don't believe that's the issue. Here's one, one more thing that, that troubles me, that I'm going to give you the statistics, and we'll probably talk a little bit more about this in a few weeks. But... I was noticing, looking at statistics about like what year that, whatever year you were born, if you look up how many people are still alive in the United States that were born in the same year, in that year you were born. So if you look, what percentage of them are still alive? And so obviously the older you get, you see the percentages go down. So it was always moving, moving, moving up, 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 percentage-wise until... I looked at current teenagers, young and older teens today. The first section or segment of people that actually have less that are alive today, percentage-wise, than any other generation before them. Interesting. And my, this is my thought. I don't have fact for sure. I believe one element is that teen suicide does play a part in that. We'll get to that. But how do we reach how do we reach these people? How, how as a generation can we reach those that are hurting, those that need to see hope? Anyway, I just throw that out. That's the only group that has declined in 100 years of percentage of those still alive. Now, if you're 23 years old today, you have the highest percentage of your, the year you were born that are still alive, and it's 99.7% of 23-year-olds born in the United States are still alive. Pretty cool. If you're 23, yeah. if you're another year, yay, because you're here. <laughs> and again, I'm overwhelming you with statistics, but again, allow, allow me to just kind of be my thing. Yeah. So the average person who was born in 1930, 
the average lifespan is like 59.7 years. Interesting, because if you look at the year 1900, the average male, the average white male at that time was 34 years, was life expectancy in 1900. Yeah, it's changed a little bit. There was a lot of things going on. Yeah, so now, if you look at, so somebody who born, like myself, in 1961, the average is 67 years. So if I, based on average, I have 10 more years, but I believe God's given me more than that. Uh, 2012, if you were born in 2012, it's up to 78.8 years. It continues to go up from there. Anyway, so those are some statistics out there. I know some of you are going to go home and be like looking stuff up and prove me wrong, but that's all right. I just get it from other resources. But there's, there's this, I just want to read a, a portion of scripture here and close here in a few moments. I want to talk about this story here that's very interesting in Second Chronicles chapter 9. And we're going to go through this, and starting in verse 30, and going through Second Chronicles 10, 14. But it's, it's an interesting dynamic and, and context of things that I just want to close out this morning and just to, to bring to the table here for us. But the, Solomon, as we know, Solomon was known as the wisest man that ever lived, and Solomon obviously had some good things going for himself. But Solomon was also human. He had some flaws. And so with Solomon's life, and he had surrounded himself with a lot of good people and so forth, so we start here, and it says Solomon ruled in Jerusalem over all Israel for 40 years. When he died, he was buried in the city of David, named after his father. Then his son Rehoboam became the, became the next king. So now we have a change, and so we have a generation change. We have a change in leadership, and we have, okay, what is going to happen now? What is this going to look like? Rehoboam went to Shechem, where all Israel had gathered to make him king. When Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, heard of this, he returned from Egypt, for he had fled to Egypt to escape King Solomon. He didn't get along with King Solomon, but he's thinking, okay, a new ruler come in, I'm going to come back and check it out and see if things change. So he says, uh, the leaders of Israel summoned him and Jeroboam, and all Israel went to speak with Rehoboam. Verse 4, your father was a hard master, they said, talking about Solomon, Lighten the harsh labor demands and heavy taxes that your father imposed on us. Then we will be your loyal subjects. Interesting information there. Interesting advice. Rehoboam replied, come back in three days for my answer. So he wanted to think about this a little bit. So the people went away. Then King Rehoboam discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. Very good. Go talk to the wise people, right? Go talk to the generation before you get information. Don't just, you know, shove them out here. So he, he goes to them, and so he discussed the matter with the older men who had counseled his father Solomon. What is your advice, he asked. How should I answer these people? The older counselors replied, if you are good to these people and do your best to please them and give them a favorable answer, they will also be your loyal subjects. Always be your loyal subjects. Verse 8, but Rehoboam rejected the advice of the older men and instead asked the opinion of the younger men who had grown up with him and were now his advisors. Nothing wrong with having people close to you in your own age. Let's read on. What is your advice, he asked them, which is good to ask and find out because he's trying to get the balance here. How should I answer these people who want me to lighten the burdens imposed by my father? The young men replied, this is what you should tell those complainers who want a lighter burden. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Oh, there's some pride. Okay, they're throwing that out. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make it even heavier. 
My father beat you with whips, and I will beat you with scorpions. <laughs> this is getting good. Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to hear Rehoboam's decision. Drum roll. Just as the king had ordered. But Rehoboam spoke harshly to them, for he rejected the advice of the older counselors and followed the counsel of his younger advisors. He told the people, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to make them even heavier. My father beat you with whips, but I will beat you with scorpions. Not a good story. Because he rejected good counsel from a previous generation that had wisdom and thought, I'm just going to make, I'm going to make a name for myself. And I'm, in fact, I'm going to be even harder on these people. Because you know what happens? Solomon probably threw all of his wisdom and everything. And he thought, you know, we look back on our life and go, man, I was a little hard on this situation. Right? You know, I was too harsh. I was judgmental with that. And, I, and you start getting wisdom based on experience that you had. So Solomon's advisors are like, you know what, we learned something through this. Solomon was a little harsh. We see that if you do this differently, you can really get some loyalty. You can get some influence. You can get some honor in this process. But he rejected that counsel, taking on the counsel, thinking, you know what, I'm, I'm even going harder at this. I, I want control. I want, I want to be the leader. And I, whatever it was, and he rejected the counsel of the wise of the previous generation. And I would caution us today. Whatever generation comes before you or generations, let's heed the wise counsel, the wisdom that's there. Let's pull that in with the good that we're seeing whatever might be happening from whatever particular generation. But let's pull the good. Let's pull the, the stuff that's proven. Let's pull that and let's bring it together to work together and not reject those things and try to establish, well, I'm just going to establish my own thing because that's, that's what I think. So I just want to encourage us as we conclude this morning, this portion of scripture gives us a lot of wisdom to look at and how we interact with each other and how we are able to respond to each other. And do not reject or neglect the wisdom that has come before us because it's come out of experience. It's come out of experience. And we get experience, but some of us are still getting experience and we're not quite there yet. So I just want to encourage us as we are a generation influence that we do this as an entire generation uh, moving forward let's stand and we're gonna conclude this morning and uh, sing this song again it's called breathe that we learned this morning I, it's a great song so just worship or pray this or sing this song and then if you want prayer for anything this morning whatever it is healing whatever it is or you just want to come up and go lord i, I really want to commit myself to be I want to be part of the generation influence. I want to make a difference. I, I want to be part of a revolution, a transformation, a revival that's going to hit our community. Lord, I want to be part of that. Whatever it is that you're sensing from the Holy Spirit, respond to that, and we'll pray for you this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening to City Life Church Podcast. 